0: Please note that this episode contains information about sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexism, misogyny, suicide, verbal abuse, and self-harm that some listeners might find disturbing. Thank you. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Bid Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Bidemio Logunde. Today on the show, I'll be discussing an article that was recently published where a software engineer talked about sexism and the often toxic workplace environments within the tech industry. I would also be talking about a recent study that showed that job applicants with distinctively black names are less likely to get callbacks and interviews. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. So Emily Kager, K-A-G-E-R, is a senior mobile Android engineer at Uber in San Francisco. She's originally from Lancaster in Pennsylvania, and in her free time, she's usually hiking, biking, running, skiing, climbing, or hanging out with her two dogs. So on Saturday, July 31, an article that she wrote was published on Mashable about why women in tech are so angry all the time, usually due to sexism and the often toxic workplace environments that are rampant within the tech industry. So the link to that article is in the show notes for this episode. So like I described earlier, Emily works in tech specifically as a software engineer. She posts about her job and the tech industry online in the form of tips and resources about how to break into the tech industry, as well as jokes and satire videos that poke fun at Silicon Valley. Incidentally, because of her post about the tech industry, she often gets tons of angry comments ranging from annoying trolling to threats of death, assault, violence, and even phone calls to her workplace trying to get her fired. So in her article, she described an incident that happened months ago when she received an unexpected fat, tattered envelope with the return address rubbed out, which also had international stamps on it. She became scared, and her first thought was that someone was trying to mail anthrax to her. Eventually, she realized that the envelope was from a friend, and it was a Christmas card that had been lost in the mail, so it wasn't anthrax. Admittedly, according to Emily, not every woman in tech will experience such life-threatening fears because everyone has and will face different challenges over the course of their career. Some women have been harassed or put in uncomfortable positions while at work, others have been underpaid, brought in at lower seniority levels than they they were worth, and ended up being constantly passed for promotion, simply because they were women. Most women, however, experience constant microaggressions, which are far more common than many people realize. Generally, women face microaggressions in the workforce in any industry but they just seem to run slightly deeper within the tech industry. So Emily mentioned that whenever she shared her stories in public forums, she gets responses along the lines of, quote, you women are always angry about something, or that women should not complain because they are well paid within the tech industry, as if any amount of salary could justify misogyny, sexism, harassment, and so on. Even though women in tech are well paid, there are still gaps in pay between them and their male peers within the tech industry, especially regarding women of color. And of course, there is the issue of balanced gender representation among leadership positions within the tech industry. So even the small gains that women make in representation tend to feel like one step forward, two or three steps backwards, Women still cannot be too aggressive, they cannot be too bossy, they cannot be too friendly, heck, they can't even be seen as not friendly enough, otherwise they risk stalling their own career progression. Those who advocate for equal pay get labeled as problematic, and speaking up against harassment has gotten some women ostracized in the tech industry, or even taken to court by their employers due to something about them breaking strict non-disclosure agreements, NDAs. According to Emily, despite many women braving the consequences and speaking up to share their experiences publicly while risking exposing themselves to more abuse in the process, a lot of men still act surprised by each and every story that come out at this point almost every week. When she shared the anonymous threats of assault, graphic violent imagery, and the sexualizing post about her during a particularly bad week, a male pair replied to her, that he knew how she felt because someone had called him a moron during a political back and forth on Twitter earlier. Seriously. But those two things cannot possibly be comparable on any level. So someone called a guy a moron because he was arguing with someone else about politics on Twitter and you want to compare that with someone threatening a woman with assault, graphic violence and even sexualizing her. Because she talked about what she experienced at work? I mean, I don't, I don't think those two things are comparable. So on Tuesday, July 20, a report came out that labor regulators in California have filed a lawsuit against the video game giant Activision Blizzard over allegations that the company systemically discriminated against female employees and failed to address a pervasive frat boy workplace culture, that has led multiple women to quit and may have even contributed to one female employee's suicide. The California Department of Fair Employment and Housing filed a 29-page Civil Rights and Equal Pay Act complaint in the Los Angeles Superior um, County Superior Court. The lawsuit alleged that Activision Blizzard created a breeding ground for harassment and discrimination by ignoring inappropriate workplace behavior and relegating women to low-ranking jobs with lower salaries than their male peers. Inside a highly successful video game company, women allegedly suffered relentless harassment and endured heavier scrutiny than their male colleagues. According to the lawsuit, men could proudly come into work hungover after nights of heavy drinking and then play video games on the clock while women were scolded for taking quick walks during breaks or leaving work briefly to pick up their children from daycare. Male workers allegedly commandeered lactation rooms to hold meetings and then therefore kicking nursing mothers out of the designated spaces that had been set aside for pumping breast milk. And women had to listen to their male colleagues engage in banter about their sexual encounters, talking openly about female bodies and even joke about rape. Meanwhile, Women were offered lower starting wages, fewer promotions, and less access to top leadership roles within the company. Few women who reach higher salary roles um, higher roles, earn less salary, um, they earn less incentive pay, and they even have um, less total compensation than their male peers in the same leadership roles. The lawsuit also claimed that black women were micromanaged and forced to justify short breaks and requests for time off. Well, no other workers were required to do so. The lawsuit added that black women at the company were singled out for their body language and scolded for asking for help when other employees did not receive similar treatment. California labor regulators also accused the company of making hiring decisions based on women's looks. In one instance, um, in one instance that the lawsuit described as particularly tragic, a woman who worked for Activision Blizzard killed herself while on a business trip with a male supervisor with whom she had been having a sexual relationship. The lawsuit claimed that the woman's colleagues passed around photos of her naked body at a holiday party before her death. So the following day, on Wednesday, July 21, Activision Blizzard described the lawsuit as distorted and in many cases false. The company said it was disappointed that state regulators had not worked with them in a good faith effort to investigate and resolve the complaints before resorting to a lawsuit. The company said they had recently amplified channels to report violations and introduced a new team dedicated to investigating complaints and then employees are required to undergo regular anti-harassment training. The company said the state regulatory agency is mischaracterizing the company's current work culture and overlooking the several steps that its leaders have taken to mitigate discrimination and sexual harassment within its ranks. So, after the statement from Activision Blizzard denying the accusations, which the CEO later described as tone-deaf, employees organized a walkout. According to Emily, as she was reading through the lengthy list of allegations in the complaint, she was disgusted but not surprised. One of her friends avoided reading the account altogether because she could not handle it emotionally. So to wrap up this segment of the episode, a lot of men would like to help fight these gender and sexism issues that are plaguing the tech workplace in general, but they are not sure how. In her article on Mashable, Emily laid out some actionable things that can be done to help on a smaller scale. So the first one is to call out bad behavior that you see or hear about, even when it's uncomfortable to do so. I would add that especially when it's uncomfortable to do so, that's when you should make sure you call out those bad behaviors. Second is to help to report offenders. So some people may not be um, bold enough to go forward and make a report, but if you're aware of the situation, the least you can do is help them, assist them. If they would like to make it anonymous, but they don't know how to go about it, and you know how to create um, a, a temporary email, for example, then you can assist in that way. Help them create a temporary email account, set up a VPN connection so that nothing is traced back to them as the source of this um, report. Third is to give credit to and call out the great work that you see from the woman you work with. This is not done enough. A lot of women do great work. A lot of women actually have good ideas, but then some, some men in the, the team or in the company would steal that idea as if it's their own and then present it without giving credits to where they heard the idea from first. Next is to offer to disclose and share your compensation packages to help your fellow women in tech know their worth. So many people don't necessarily talk about salaries and compensations, but this might be the first step in actually making sure that women are compensated fairly. So both men and women in the office, if you can talk about Maybe not the salary figure per se, but just the compensation benefits. If you got some sign up bonus, but then not everybody in the company knew that that was even possible. That, that, those are something you should, could talk about. If you negotiated your time off and you got additional three or four days, vacation days in the year, those are the things you could also bring up so that other women would know that, okay, these things are part of the things they can negotiate next time they present their case for a, um, a bonus or pay increase next is to advocate in your own teams for debiasing the interview or promotion process so many people go into interviews expecting it to be fair but from what we know from reports and even just the past year from the pandemic and everything else is that interview processes are extremely biased depending on who is doing the interviewing and who they are interviewing so Advocate for making sure that there is as minimum as possible, as low bias as possible in the interview or promotion process. Next is to advocate for events that you are attending or organizing to include a more diverse set of voices, and then refer underrepresented experts that you know for opportunities. Next is do not rely on marginalized groups to educate you. This is, I mean, self-explanatory. You cannot claim to know about black people by going to meet black people to ask them for education. I mean, it's just kind of, it looks fake, right? And if you claim to want to know about women, you should start from, I guess, books and some other non, um, I guess, neutral sources, and then kind of walk your way to end up with the people you actually want to learn about. So start from, places where you would find out information you didn't necessarily know. So that would help you in entering into those conversations with those marginalized groups from a place of at least fundamental knowledge. And this leads to the final um, suggestion. It's to listen to and believe women. So Emily wrapped this up um, perfectly because a lot of people don't even listen to women, much less believe in them. And they just, like she mentioned earlier in the article, when she brings certain things up and then she gets responses like, you women are always angry about something. That's because that statement itself is coming from a place of, we don't necessarily believe you because you do this all the time. Now it's getting to the point where you you seem to be crying wolf and that's just the wrong way to approach it. So the next segment on this episode is um, how job applicants with distinctively black names are less likely to get callbacks and interviews. So many U.S. corporations are calling for an end to institutional racism and proclaiming support for diversity and inclusion. Historically, however, human resources departments and recruiting firms around the country have helped perpetuate racial bias in their hiring processes and workplaces. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits employers from discriminating against employees or applicants based on their race, color, religion, national um, origin, sex, um, including pregnancy status, sexual orientation and gender identity, and lastly, disability. Despite this sweeping legislation, however, the discrimination, the discrimination did not end. Explicit bias became implicit and racial slurs became code words. For example, the word thug is now being used increasingly to mean to, or to refer to black men. For decades, studies have found that ethnic minorities receive fewer responses to job applications, even when they have comparable qualifications to white people, and race-based legal complaints filed with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission continue rapidly even up till this present day. It is important to be constantly reminded that racist policies did not end with the civil rights movement. Although there are anti-discrimination laws that says employers should not discriminate against people when hiring them. However, the way hiring is done itself has built-in inequalities. So how, how is this possible that hiring processes themselves have built-in inequalities? So as much as people claim to be colorblind, research actually says the opposite. Ethnic minorities have to complete 50% more applications on average, to get invited for a job interview when compared with candidates in the majority. And applicants with distinctively black names have a lesser chance of being contacted for an interview compared to employees with white names. Recently, researchers at the University of Chicago and University of California, Berkeley, submitted more than 83,000 entry-level job applications to 108 Fortune 500 companies in the U.S., What they found was that applicants with black names had a 2.1% less chance of getting contacted um, for a callback. The National Bureau of Economic Research published a working paper on this study, noting that 7% of all jobs included in the experiment discriminated against black names, but that number jumped to 20% when looking at the 23 companies that the researchers reliably labeled as engaged in racial discrimination. The companies that ranked in the top fifth of the study for racial discrimination were responsible for nearly half of the incidents of lost contacts to black applicants. So they conveniently lost the contacts of black applicants so that they could justify the fact that they didn't call them back for um, a second interview or for um, a, cons- for consideration, basically. In recent years, a handful of Fortune 500 companies have been hit with lawsuits for breaking civil rights laws. Google, Target, Coca-Cola, Fox News, and more have all paid out millions of dollars in settlements over accusations of discrimination against employees and companies including Amazon, Facebook, Morgan Stanley, and McDonald's have all been accused of racially discriminatory behavior. According to a 2018 study, by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, black Americans are severely underrepresented in higher paying corporate jobs. Similarly, white Americans outrank Hispanics in management, professional and related occupations. Asian Americans were the only ethnic group with a higher share of jobs in that category than white workers. So all this discrimination also happened around the world, not just in the US, where more explicit ethnic cues about one's appearance, such as photos attached to resumes, are common. So there's a preference for light-skinned applicants over dark-skinned applicants, even among darker-skinned recruiters. So while photos and resumes are less common in the US, that does not eliminate unconscious bias from the hiring process, since 84% of organizations say they use social media to pre-screen candidates. So out- um, in the world, except the U.S., most companies, they they have this thing, it's like a norm, where you put your picture on your resume and then you apply to whatever position you're applying to. So all of that happened, happened outside the U.S. and we've seen studies on studies that show that there is a preference for lighter-skinned applicants, even among darker-skinned recruiters. But In the U.S., we don't do that because no one puts their pictures on resumes. However, when employees or potential employees apply to a job, you see instances where the recruiters then go on their LinkedIn or other social media profiles to see this person, who this person is, what kind of things they do. And they have these LinkedIn profiles where even if your account is um, set to certain privacy settings, recruiters can still see everything on your profile. So... I mean they use this frequently i personally know that they use this frequently and then they make decisions based on what they see on your um, social media profile which at that point is at that point is becoming even more important than what's actually on your resume beyond explicit cues like names and photos there are also implicit markers as well such as affiliations with sociocultural groups that could trigger discrimination even from recruiters who say work experience is the most important section of your resume. This is particularly due to a lack of diversity within HR departments themselves, where 11.1% of HR managers are Black and 10.1% are Hispanic or Latino, which are not commensurate to their respective shares of the U.S. population. There are definitely way more than 11% um, Black Americans in the U.S., and there are definitely way way more than 10.1% of Hispanics or Latinos in the U.S., To avoid discrimination, some minority applicants have taken to whitening their resumes by removing ethnic details or anglicizing their names. I have friends who anglicize their names to make it less obvious that they are not black or Hispanic or Asian. Research suggests that this tactic actually works to a certain degree. In one study, 25% of black candidates with a whitened resume got a callback compared to 10% of those who left ethnic details intact. Similar results were found for Asian-Americans, where 21% of whitened resumes got callbacks, while 11.5% of those with ethnic details intact did not. Candidates are half as likely to whiten their resumes when they see pro-diversity language in the job description. Even though companies that promote diversity and inclusion in their job listings have the same rate of discrimination as companies that do not include such language. Apparently, bias goes beyond race and gender. Some researchers have found that age-based stereotypes decrease the willingness to hire job candidates. Age can be implicitly communicated in the skills, professional memberships, and other sections of a resume. Even certain email addresses can provide clues to an applicant's age, such as someone using AOL, for example. You would know that this person has to be um, at least a certain age. And even nowadays, if you use Yahoo Mail, then you are most likely going to be seen as someone much older compared to Gmail or some other newer um, email account. Other discriminatory practices in hiring are structural. For example, the employee referral process perpetuates inequality and racial homogeneity in the workplace. When a predominantly white workforce uses employee referrals, they will most likely bring in other white people. Referrals would have been great if everyone interacted with everyone else, but that is not the case because our neighborhoods are segregated, our schools are segregated, and most people tend to only interact with the people who look mostly like them. In addition, Discrimination does not end after getting the job. Black employees are frequently judged and exploited based on their skin color, even within well-meaning organizations, whether um, they are dealing with repeated slights from their colleagues or being singled out by their boss to solve racial injustice in the workplace. Workplace discrimination is no longer explicit as it was in the 1950s, which makes it harder to prove. Using the word boy, to describe black male employees is considered enough evidence of discrimination due to its long history as a way to belittle black men. However, when the words seem more neutral and less attached to historical examples such as referring to a black colleague as angry or abrasive, then courts of law therefore require more context. Incidentally, minority and female employees are more likely to be tapped to take on additional uncompensated work. Employees who ask a black Employers who ask a Black employee to single-handedly lead a diversity tax force without offering more pay may be putting unnecessary burden on the employee, not to mention treating them as a token representative of their race. Research has shown that workplace and leadership diversity lead to better return on investment and more innovation, but in the end, it is the right thing to do regardless. So um, for this second segment, basically, if you're a job applicant and you have a distinctively non-white name, not just a distinctively black name, it's it's being proven now that you're more likely or less likely to get callbacks and interviews simply because of the way your name sounds or the way you look on your resume or the way you look on your social media post and so on. So all of these are just um, to bring attention to the fact that these things happen not just within the tech industry um, but within... The workplace of today, basically, and it's it's just knowing about it is a good step to realizing what to what to do about it, what HR department can do about it, what employees and employers um, can do about it as well. So that's all I have for this episode of The Bid Picture. The production, editing, fact checking, audio engineering, and graphic design were done by us truly, BWL Please join me again on the next episode as I continue with a deep dive on different cybersecurity topics, news, events, and incidents, and the lessons we can all learn from them for robust cyber threat intelligence and awareness in our daily lives. Make sure you subscribe to The Bid Picture on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts from share the show with anyone you think might benefit from it and for questions comments or any suggestions please send an email to bdme at thebidpicture.com you can also get in touch on twitter at bidpicture as well as on the clubhouse app at bid please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your platform allows you to do so um, thank you for your time see you on the next episode bye for now